fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into the program. It is the pre-Friday celebration, greatest day of the entire week, baby. You see the light at the end of the tunnel. You are ready to kick off an early weekend. I say go for it, baby. Call in tomorrow. It's hot anyways. No one wants to be outside and do their thing. So you know what? Go ahead and call in. We'll give you permission. Say the voice of reason said so. (laughs) See how far that gets you. Welcome into the show. Broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country on multiple radio stations, TV, live streaming, and podcasting. However you watch or listen to the show, it is always great to have you for the ride. Your millennial general reporting for duty like we do every single day. Boy, do we have a lot to talk about today. Obviously, the big news of the day, Donald Trump in court for the January 6th indictment of trying to obstruct Congress. So, we'll get to that here in just a little bit. I don't want to waste any time, though, since we have limited time with our guest who's kicking off the show right out of the gate today, man. We're going to start it off strong. What's trending today? As they are off on break, doing their town hall meetings, talking to constituents, and getting ready to get geared back up to head to Washington, D.C. and the swamp in just about a month or so. Excited to have back on the program with us our friend from the big congressional first district in the great state of Kansas, Congressman Tracy Mann with us here. Congressman, how are you, my friend? I'm fantastic, Andy. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for what you're doing for the conservative movement in Kansas and around the country. Oh, it is so good to have you on, and uh, I appreciate what you guys have been doing. It is, I can only imagine how hard it is and how frustrating it may feel to have the House of Representatives and to have so many ideas of what we want to do. And everything you guys do essentially just get kicked down the road and just uh, kind of uh, put on the shelf from the uh, Democrat run Senate right now. Hopefully, we can change that in 2024. Well, you know, elections have consequences. Uh, when you think about it, you know, Congress is, is one-third of the government. The House is one-half of that. So Republicans control one-sixth of the government. That said, we have made some legitimate progress on a whole handful of issues. At the end of the day, Congress um, controls the purse strings. we got to exercise the power of the purse to try to rein in, uh, you know, this, this out-of-control federal government that we're seeing right now. Yeah. That is unfortunate. Uh, while you're on break, I know you've been touring around the state of Kansas and your district especially. And for those that don't know uh, the size of Kansas, you pretty much control like two-thirds of the state, like you know, the western half of the state of Kansas with how big yeah, your well, district is. How's the, how's the tour going right now? My district starts in Lawrence and goes all the way to Goodland. Uh, so Kansas has 105 counties, and I represent 60 of them. So wow. about a little under 60% of the district. I do one uh, town hall in every county. So we've had 15 town halls this week. Just wrap that up. So we've been to all 60 counties this year. Andy, nothing I enjoy more than getting out, talking to folks, telling what's happened in Washington, D.C., but really listening to them, hearing what's on their mind uh, to convey their concerns and represent them well back in Washington. Yeah, absolutely. What is the big concern when you do hear people in the town halls? What's the big priority that they've been focusing on? Has it been the investigations, uh, Hunter Biden stuff? Has it been economic things? Has it been agricultural? What's uh, what's the flavor? Yeah, yeah, you know, I've got a very large ag district, so the farm bill, uh, the five-year bill expires on September the 30th, so that yeah. is front and center for folks uh, in my district and the counties I was in. But beyond that, Andy, it's just, it's the regulations coming out of Washington, D.C. You know, Washington, D.C. should not be telling people 
what light bulbs they can use, uh, if they have if they can have a gas stove or not, if they've got to buy an electric vehicle. You know, this is crazy. All the regulations, um, things like the lesser prairie chicken in our state are important. And the continued weaponization, uh, people feel like the weaponization of, of the federal government, it certainly seems like uh, the Department of Justice is going after Trump, turning a blind eye to Biden, and that obviously frustrates a lot of people, as it should. Yeah, it is pretty frustrating. Let's talk about the Farm Bill for a second. I know that uh, some leaders were concerned about getting kind of a late start on discussing the Farm Bill, and as you said, it expires at the end of uh, next month, which is a cause for concern for many farmers that uh, may not have some of the crop insurance protection, some of the other things that are included in the bill. But how is it looking, and are we coming down uh, to being able to finalize this thing? Well, I have made massive progress. Until I started this year behind, we have a new Republican uh, chairman. You know, he's done a great job catching us back up. We should get the draft text of the Farm Bill later this month, right when we get back in September. Hopefully we'll have a markup and go to the House Ag Committee. Don't forget that farm bills are amendments to existing farm policy that goes back to the 1940s, which means no one wants it to revert back to that. So if it expires, it, it won't expire. It would get extended. Hmm. But we're pushing hard and want to get it done on time by September the 30th. Yeah, that is the good news. Uh, the other front on that that's that's a little bit more political is, I know this is kind of a pipe dream, but is there any opportunity for the SNAP program and some of the other social programs that they've placed under the farm bill to be removed because I think the farm bill needs to be focused on actual farmers, not on social programs for the country. And I think there needs to be some kind of divide there. Yeah. You know, the farm bill today, uh, Andy, 81% of the money from the farm bill is for food nutrition. (laughs) 19% is for everything else. The everything else is, you know, things like crop insurance, uh, other, other things that make sure we have a robust, uh, safe, safe and steady food supply. So that's the current state of affairs. But you got to have both from the standpoint. You've got to get the ag policy right so we're producing food. Yeah. Um, you know, and let's make sure that we're getting it to people that have legitimate needs. Um, I think, you know, we some work requirements and things were changed with the uh, debt ceiling deal. And uh, we'll see what happens with the rest of this farm bill. I didn't realize how how big that was, 80-20. So a farm bill that's supposed to be for farmers are actually farmers actually benefiting it from it about 20% of the time. So that's nice. That's that's good to know on the priorities that some uh, some big government Democrats have on that one. Real quickly, that goes along with agriculture, but also with trade and the economy as a whole. How are we and have you guys been working on with relations with China, some of the trade deals with China right now moving forward, especially when it comes to trade of some livestock, grain, and that sort of stuff? Yeah, you know, Trump um, did a lot of work renegotiating our trade deals with China, the, you know, the NAFTA or the FBO, the NAFTA, the North, you know, the, the, that's big, you know, the Mexico, um, Canada, MCPA deal, very important. Um, exports to Japan, very robust right now. And, you know, in Trump, we feed the world, given how great, the great job our ag producers do, but we've got to keep looking at open up over the markets over, overseas, make sure that you know, we have a little playing field. We can compete with anybody, but let's make sure we've got a level playing field and aren't being taken advantage of. Yeah, amen to that. I know the trade market especially as well with the conflict with Russia and the Ukraine. The Black Sea port right now has been causing issues. Russia didn't want any grain going out of that trade port, which could cause some issues in the long run when it comes to food and food prices and food stability as well. Is that getting resolved, and uh, does that mean that farmers here in the United States just need to up their game a little bit when it comes to exports? Um, It is a great question. It's a huge issue. So, context ukraine is a country of 40 million people but they feed 400 million yeah and the food you know the grain that they produce if you look at a massive pine that grain typically goes south and it goes west 
which means, you know, countries like Egypt, the rest of North Africa, the Middle East, Syria, they get a lot of their food from Ukraine. So the problem is when you um, prohibit exports like Russia's doing out of Ukraine, you can simultaneously destabilize the Middle East and a part of the world that history would say, uh, when it's not stabilized, bad things happen and begin to prop up. So this situation is not good. And by their result. Yeah, that is a, uh, a big cause for concern. Any inkling on when this conflict may be over? Is it just kind of lingering still? Well, it's just, you know, my frustration is, well, the uh, handful of issues. You have the, the port that's been closed, and uh, and we'll see what Russia is or isn't willing to do there. Uh, we also got to be realistic. You know, we've spent a hundred billion dollars in Ukraine, yeah. and I don't want Ukraine to win. Wish them well, but we have our own priorities. I think other countries need to step up. I believe that we need more oversight, accountability, transparency into those dollars. I I voted against the last several uh, appropriations requests uh, for 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 money to Ukraine. That's certainly that's something that's going to come back before Congress here later this year. That is very true. Congressman Tracy, a man from the Big First District in the state of Kansas, I know you have to run, my friend. Last question for you, and I don't know that you're even involved with these committees or not, but I'm sure it's the word of the town in Washington, D.C. Any more information on the hearings about UFOs and ETs coming out of some of those committees? Uh, uh, yeah, that's, uh, you know, we had a lot of things. That's not on my committee. Um, I would say if you list the things that I think we ought to be most concerned about today, that would not be on the list. That said, there is a lot of intrigue. Uh, it does matter. You know, you wonder if maybe there are some uh, some folks in Washington D.C. that didn't step off of a uh, UFO rocket ship someday. But uh, you know, our government is what it mm. gets to serve. Amen to that. I'm telling you, it is uh, all the news. It's going to start breaking out, and I'm excited to hear from it. It's Congressman Tracy Man from the Big First District of the Great State of Kansas. Congressman, enjoy it. Enjoy the town halls. Enjoy talking to everybody. Thank you so much for everything you're doing up there in D.C. We'll get you back on for another update here real soon, my friend. Nope, I think we lost him. All right, he was uh, he was about ready to cut off anyways there, so he dropped, and we appreciate him very much. Again, that's Congressman Tracy Mann from the Big First District. Think about what he said for just a moment there, because something really stuck out that I think is a cause for concern, as you know, and for those that uh, don't like this conversation, but yet we need to have this conversation regarding social programs and how the federal budget's actually orchestrated. And I'll give you a quick summation again for the left side of the aisle. We have two portions of the budget. We have the mandatory spending and we have the discretionary spending. Mandatory spending is every social program that's out there that we're not allowed to touch, we're not allowed to reform, we're not allowed to do anything with. It includes Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, the SNAP program, the WIC program, all the ones that take care of individuals. That is mandatory spending. It grows exponentially by anywhere 4, 5, 6, 7% every single year, and you cannot touch it. And even if you try to slow the growth of said program, then you get accused of trying to kill people and letting them die in the streets. That's the way it goes. And by the way, that portion of the federal government is about 60% of the entire budget. So when they say, oh, the military is taking all this money. Now, the military is only about 20% of the entire federal budget. It's about 60% of the discretionary spending. And the discretionary spending is only roughly 40%, 45% of the entire total budget uh, at the federal level. So with that foundation of understanding, let's look at the SNAP program and nutritional programs for a second. We have a farm bill that he just talked about that's coming up that we need to renew that does some amazing work. And I've said this many times before, while we do not like social programs, there are industries 
that have their entire livelihoods completely out of their hands. That includes the farming community. And for those that live in big cities, this is not a big important thing to you. On the superficial level, at the other side, though, you still go and get groceries and you wonder why your food's so damn expensive. When there are farmies that have uh, farmers that have everything taken out of their control, from the weather to drought to heat to flooding to cold freezes to the trading uh, market on how much how expensive or how non-expensive certain prices are to gas and diesel to literally everything that you use for your livelihood to be a farmer is out of your hands. You need insurance. When hail comes out and destroys your entire hundred acres of crop that was going to make you your livelihood for the next year, you need insurance to cover something like that. That's what the federal government does. And I'm all about that program. But to think about it for a second, we have a farm bill that is millions of dollars. It's massive amounts of money. And the actual focus on helping farmers be able to move forward in a farm bill is only 20% of that actual bill. The rest of it, like progressives do oh so well, is say, okay, here, we have to take care of farmers. We're going to give them a snippet of what's actually going to be in the bill. The rest of it is going to be our social programs, is going to be the SNAP program and the food stamp program, which is the SNAP program, and all the other nutritional programs that we do across the nation, and we're going to include it in there. And if you vote against it, then you hate farmers. Oh, yeah, and you hate the poor people that it's actually taken care of, but you really hate farmers if you're a farmer or someone in the agricultural community. How dare you vote against a farm bill because you need to take care of them, even though they're only getting what's left over from after the social program funding is all done in the bill. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome back into it. 24 minutes past the hour on a pre-Friday celebration. Greatest day of the entire week. We're just going to carpe diem all over this place, baby. That's what we do every day. Thanks again to Congressman Tracy Mann coming on the show. I, I disagree with him on one thing. I disagree with him on one thing on... The fact that ETs and UFOs are not a priority. I, I, I'm telling you, <laughs> it's going to be big. It's going to be huge. And I think we're going to make it bigly. Yeah, it's going to be some big news. I'm telling you, they are conditioning. They're letting you know it's there. They're just waiting to actually confirm it and prove to you that things are really happening going on up there. But it is a, t- a cause for concern, as we mentioned, when we say that it's for something, let's just say the farm bill, for example. And we do this with every bill up there, and it's frustrating beyond belief, as that, hey, uh, the Defense Authorization Act that we just did, cool. They throw in things that have nothing to do with the military, nothing to do with defense, nothing to do with. And then if you try to say, wait a second, no, you can't do that, and they say, nope, you have to pass it or else you don't like the military. You have to pass the farm bill or you don't like farmers. And that's not true at all. These need to be separate. We need to have a farm bill where it addresses farm insurance and other things for farmers. And if we are going to fund any program, then it goes towards the farmers. It goes towards grants to study genetics. It goes to farmers and the agricultural industry to study uh, ways to make uh, food more efficient, ways to try and actually create technology to help farmers out in the fields. That's the stuff that it goes to. Now, I don't like that stuff usually 
being a free uh, free market, laissez-faire capitalist kind of guy. I like that stuff being done mostly in the private sector. But I'm just saying, if we're going to spend money on government grants for certain projects, then go towards that, if that's what we have to do. And then we turn around and we say, all right, now here is the SNAP bill. Here is the food stamp bill. Here is the social security bill. Here is the WIC bill for us to look at. We have to start doing that. And I know they're not going to. This is the pipe dream. I know that uh, Washington, D.C. doesn't like it because this is how they get their stuff done. Remember Nancy Pelosi and all her great years, and I say that sarcastically for our radio listeners, uh, for all the years that she was in Washington, D.C., where she continued to say we have to pass it to see what what's in it. And remember, before the Barack Obama reign, which was however many years ago now, before that, every single year we used to have a federal budget. We actually used to have a budget where we had 12 appropriations bills and Congress, specifically the House of Representatives, as they are the power of the purse and they are the ones that are supposed to delegate this sort of thing to appropriate tax money to certain projects. They looked at it. They did the 12 appropriations bills. And yes, the budget would grow, but it would grow slowly because we were actually holding things accountable. As soon as Barack Obama got in there, we don't have time to do it. We're going to start squabbling. And now we have to pass this massive omnibus package. And we need to pass it to see what's in it with the bill. And, oh, by the way, all these separate bills, the Farm Bill and the Defense Authorization Act and all this other stuff, is going to be included in there or it's going to be on top. So we're going to pass a bill that's double what it was the year prior, and then we're going to pass these other bills on top of it, so we need a lot more funding. And then the Biden regime's here saying, gee, I wonder why people don't think the economy's doing well. Which, by the way, according to the jobless claims report that came out from the Department of Revenue and Department of Commerce today uh, in the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, they say that for the first time in four weeks that jobless claims have risen and therefore now the uh, government can't say that they continue to add jobs, although they are a little bit, I guess, but still not the 13 million that they say. And now we're seeing more people begin to apply again. Uh, for whatever reason, they can begin to speculate on their end, and they can say, well, it's still good, the economy's still great, don't know why people are still complaining, you should enjoy your $5 gallons of gas, you should enjoy your $4, uh, $4 loaf of bread, you should enjoy that $20 pack of meat that used to be $10 before, you should enjoy that, the Biden economy's rocking. And that's when we say, okay. Okay, and we roll our eyes and we go about our day because we know they're a bunch of lying liars. Speaking of, when we come back, we'll talk about the Trump hearings. He's in court right now in Washington, D.C. What's that look like for the future of the Trump presidential race and the future of the country? Lots more coming up. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into the program. Happy pre-Friday celebration to you as we move through the morning. Uh, move through the morning. Good golly. It's almost morning, I guess. It's been a day. What can we say? <laughs> trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that five-pound bag, trying to rebrand the millennial generation one radio listener at a time. As we move through here, let's let's go ahead and get into this because this is obviously the big story of the day in our What's Trending. What's Trending Today. So Donald Trump officially out of court as he 
has made his speech afterwards. I'm going to try and play this now. If you're listening on the Podbean live stream, you may not be able to hear this audio, but if you're on the radio and the video stream, you should be able to. This is according to the Instagram page on Team Trump, where he was done with the court hearing, and he was out there and made a statement in the rain as he was walking out. And let's see if we can... Very much. This is a very sad day for America, and it was also very sad driving through Washington, D.C., and seeing the filth and the decay and all of the broken buildings and walls and the graffiti. This is not the place that I left. It's a very sad thing to see it. Uh, when you look at what's happening, this is a persecution of a political opponent. This was never supposed to happen in America. This is the persecution of the person that's leading by very, very substantial numbers in the Republican primary and leading Biden by a lot. So if you can't beat him, you persecute him or you prosecute him. We can't let this happen in America. Thank you very much. All right, that was Donald Trump shortly after the hearing and pleading not guilty in Washington, (laughs) D.C. As as typical Trump fashion right there, isn't it? I mean, he didn't even talk much about the court case. He was just like, oh, yeah, this place is like falling apart and buildings are crumbling and just not the state and not the country that I left it when I left office just a couple years ago. Very sad ordeal. And oh, by the way, the political persecution of a political opponent using the court system is uh, not what this nation is all about. So in typical Trump fashion, Trump walks out of there and makes a very bold statement. That was just about a half hour ago and had tip to Fox News on that audio there. So what actually happened today and what happened with the Donald Trump uh, presidential campaign is according to Fox News that former President Donald Trump pleaded not guilty in court on four federal charges stemming from the special counsel Jack Smith's investigation into the 2020 election. Uh, is they say that it included a conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, conspiracy to defraud the United States, obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding, and conspiracy against rights. I, I mean, we can speculate all we want to, but we know that that's all just a bunch of malarkey, isn't it? I mean, we know that that's a bunch of crap, and it's not true, but... Is this the major distraction? Now, again, I said yesterday, try to absorb this in right now. And as frustrating as though times may be, everything from the uh, political persecution of Donald Trump to the uh, kids thinking that they're a different gender, absorb in this time because this is a very historical moment and this will be a trend-setting time. This will be the fork in the road for not just the United States of America, but for humanity in general on what direction we're going to go moving forward based on what policies that we begin to implement and what foundation of morals and ethics and common sense that we stand on or not stand on moving forward. As this, We are living in history as we speak right now. And while the judicial system was not intended to go after a political opponent at all, but that's exactly what we're seeing, it is sad because now they're going to throw everything at Donald Trump they possibly can. And you want to know why? According to the latest polls that show that Donald Trump's still up by near three quarters of the Republican support, the latest experts say that anyone who has had this much support going into a presidential race in the history of the United States has never not gotten the nomination. Now, to win the election, that's a whole other thing, and we'll talk about the political side of this in just a moment, but the other indictments, the other charges, the other lawsuits that have been filed against Trump have been falling left and right, and the media never talks about those because if they were still all going, we'd still have like 200 lawsuits against Donald Trump that were active. That's not the case at all. 
but they have to throw more and more at him to try and topple him to make sure he can't get the nomination because we know that he's probably right now more than likely going to get the nomination, which may upset some people, which may make some people happy, depending on where you stand, even among the Republican Party. The problem is, though, this one is going to be the biggest lawsuit in the history of the United States. And again, support him, not support him. This is going to be the biggest lawsuit in the history of the United States, not just for the charges that Donald Trump's going up against, which no president has ever had to go up against before in his entire existence, but how fraudulently and how minuscule the actual uh, substance is within the lawsuit, but then the political biasness of the judge in Washington, D.C., in which is what in which it was presented to. I believe that the president of the United States has been indicted in a district where the jury pool will be uncompromisingly anti-Republican, anti-conservative, anti-Trump, and he has drawn a judge in this judge, Tanya Chutkin, who will not be fair, cannot be fair, has been one of the worst sentencers in all the January 6th cases. The president got a very bad draw today, and believe me, under no circumstances, can he avoid conviction now in the District of Columbia? That audio from Newsmax just a little bit ago. Do you honestly think that it was a draw? Like he was in that district, so they just randomly chose a judge. Do you think they're like, all right, everybody put a put your name in a hat, and we're going to draw who's going to be running the charges on Donald Trump, former president of the United States, on all of these four charges on the January 6th issues going on? Do you really think that they planned that out or through the uh, draw of a hat or the short straw? Or do you think they were like, hey, this is how we finally found a way to get him. We're going to find the most politically biased judge, and we're going to have them oversee this charge on Trump, and we will make sure that he gets charged in some way, shape, or form, which could impede him from running for president and could also potentially put him in jail at some points. Because according to them, if they get found guilty on all four charges, it's up to like six different lifetimes in jail. And that's what they're going for. Now, there's no substance to it. But it is very frustrating. Even his own legal team shows concern and is calling the sounder on this one, uh, including Alina Haba, which is the spokesperson for the legal team for Donald Trump that was also on Newsmax just a little bit ago. She was part of a law firm where Hunter Biden, I believe, was off counsel or on the board. Uh, that was reported today. You know, there are processes that we can go through if we do believe that this judge is compromised or won't be able to give a fair shake. It's a motion for recusal. The only issue with recusal motions, and I'm not familiar with the criminal court system, but in civil law, that's what we do, is that the judge decides whether they can be impartial. Um, I've seen that come down and then... So she has to decide whether or not she stays... That's how it works in the civil court, so we'll see how it works. I'll leave that to our criminal attorneys, but um, that's typically what you do, but I can't see how you could possibly be a, a person who donates to the Democratic Party, a person who sat on the board with the current president and political opponent to President Trump's son, and then sit and oversee this case. That just doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't make sense to anybody. How openly biased do you have to be to say we're going to appoint a judge who is friends with the Bidens, who has worked with the Bidens, who is a registered Democrat, 
who's given financial donations to Democrats, including Joe Biden and Barack Obama and all the, everybody else. I mean, how openly biased do you have to be and how desperate do you have to be to single-handedly choose a person that has some of the most extreme anti-Trump bias out there to be the one proceeding over a Trump trial that could potentially put him in prison and end his presidential run for 2024 and not care and then openly say, yeah, you know what, that's the case and we're going to do this. Like, shouldn't that be just a major red flag for most people? Be like, hold on here. Uh, if we're going to have any type of proper law, law and order, the rule of law, which is the fundamental process in the in the nation, to say that we have a judicial system set up to try and stop bad guys and have a fair trial, if that's what we're standing on, which I know Democrats don't support that because it's either their way or the highway, and the ends justify the means to them. So no matter how corrupt you get, it's for the better good of humanity and for society, and therefore it's totally okay. But if you believe in any foundational principle in the United States, then you would be screaming that this is completely wrong. Even the most anti-Trump, Donald Trump-hating person on the face of the earth would be like, wow, can we at least have the persona of being a fair trial here? Can we at least pretend that this is going to be a legitimate trial? Or, like I said yesterday, is this the opening to something like the Hunger Games where we're literally just going to start erasing humanity and erasing people that we politically disagree with, and we're openly going to do it because, again, the ends justify the means. Now, I don't want to get you too worked up because there is some positive news in these stories as well as the legal team is making some gains on this and they are starting to call it out and expose a lot of this that's making people scratch their heads. Okay. And the other thing is that just two days ago we won on presidential immunity, something that a lot of people aren't speaking about. Presidential immunity exists for presidents to be able to address the public when they have concerns of public interest, when they have concerns at all without getting sued, without putting themselves in jeopardy because they are a sitting president, which the president was on January 6th. Yeah. He truly did believe the election had deficiencies. Right. And we know that. And there are people that did. So they're going to have a hard time with this one, even in D.C. According to all the legal experts, at least that have been on some of the uh, media sites, they've said that there's so, so little substance in this one that it would be insane for them to even take this, which they have taken it, but for them to find any substance on hard proof. Because remember, they need to find hard proof. You are innocent until proven guilty. At least that's the way we say our court system is, that we're innocent until proven guilty. So they have to actually find hard proof evidence to really prove his mindset at the time, which was, I'm going to find a way to completely sabotage the electoral vote count uh, in Congress, and we're going to end the proceedings because I want to hold on to that power. And to prove that if somehow they were able to disrupt the counting of the Electoral College votes, which they did, I guess, that somehow that was going to end with him staying in power, which did not happen and could not have happened and was not going to happen. So are they going to do it on the hearsay and the just the idea of he's evil or are we going to do it on wow okay let's think through this for a second have some logical thought of what the outcome was going to be if he had gone through with all this and if he had orchestrated all of this on what the end means actually would have been and when you come to that you're like wow this is really a dumb conversation to be having in the first place this is the voice of reason with andy hoosier Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason 
with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Hey, I want to tell you about my friends over at Americans for Prosperity. As you know, we're seeing the campaign from the Biden administration right now on their quote-unquote Bidenomics, trying to praise it. Now, remember, Republicans coined it as the Bidenomics for the failed economic policy right now. 15 to 20% inflation over the past three years, 30% inflation alone on food. And you can see how well gas prices are doing right now when you go to the gas pump. It's getting harder just to buy the basic essentials. But Americans for Prosperity have launched their new nationwide campaign for the summer, calling it the Bidenomics on what it actually is, which is the failed economic policy of Joe Biden. The real fact checkers are here, baby, so stand aside and let us save the day. That's what it's all about. Be part of the Bidenomics' broken campaign by letting everyone know about the truth of what's going on with the economy, whether it's helping knock doors, making phone calls, financially supporting the organization, or just talking to your family and friends and neighbors. It's time that we bring some truth, reason, and common sense back into the economy, and that's what Americans for Prosperity are doing. They're the country's largest grassroots organization with chapters in every single state and helping with over 4 million advocates nationwide. And you can contact them to help with this national campaign for truth or for more information on the information to take the truth to the streets. You can find it all online at americansforprosperity.org, americansforprosperity.org, and follow them on their social media at AFPHQ. Help reignite the American dream by calling out the failed Biden economic policies with this massive campaign trying to expose Bidenomics. As we look at this court case going on right now and these new four charges that could potentially put Donald Trump in jail for six different lifetimes. As they try to push this narrative and when Donald Trump doesn't actually get indicted or uh, and confirmed and, and gets thrown in jail because, you know, there's no substance to it in any way, shape or form and they can't prove anything at all. They can just speculate on what his motives were by speaking and saying to go and peacefully protest. And that by somehow means that you're going to go and start a riot and try and stop the proceedings going on in Congress uh, because of that, then when he's done with all this and which is not going to be done till like almost election time. But when it's all done and we get to move forward from this, Donald Trump's also working on the other end by yesterday having a meeting with executives from Fox News, which I find quite interesting as well, because as you know, he has not had the best relationship with Fox since the changing over of leadership within Fox and the leaving of Tucker Carlson and some of the other big conservatives that uh, Fox has kind of become the anti-Trump news network as much as NBC or CNBC or MSNBC or CBS, or any of the other ones uh, out there, they, uh, they've they really not taken a liking to Trump at all. But Trump apparently yesterday has sat down and done a meeting with some of the Fox executives talking about a few things, including one of those doing a debate against the other candidates. Now, whether you like Fox or have stopped watching Fox or not, I have to tell you this is probably one of the smarter moves that Donald Trump has done on the campaign trail because he has his following – He's got a large portion of the Republican Party that is supporting him. But once you step outside of the political parties and you look at the entire voter base, the independent, the unaffiliated, you realize that Donald Trump and Joe Biden are very low on the approval rating on who they want to have a nomination or to be president of the United States. Which means he's going to have to do some work trying to widen that base, which Donald Trump, being the controversial guy that he is, is going to be a very difficult thing to do. But he's got to start working on that. And if he gets Fox News on board with him again, at least to a small degree, then some of the quote unquote moderate Republicans who have not liked Donald Trump may begin to come back to him. If he debates, which he needs to debate the other candidates, 
regardless of who they are, uh, Ron DeSantis, Tim Scott, Vivek Ramaswamy, whoever it may be, uh, he needs to debate them. And if it is under Fox News, then maybe, just maybe, he can start winning over some people again, even those outside of the Republican Party who are on the fence or dislike him right now because of what's going on in the news headlines, again, because of the legal fatigue that the Democrats and progressives are trying to push onto him. And if he doesn't become nominee, then that's a whole other story, and we can find another candidate to push behind. But like they said already, according to MSN.com right now, here's the headline. Nobody has lost a primary after holding a lead like Trump currently has. He's dominating the field so far. And if he is the nominee, he's got to find a way to widen that base. And the Republican Party as a whole needs to find a way to rally behind him whether they enjoy him or not, because you can see how well that the Biden regime's working out. You can see how bad a Kamala Harris regime would work out. You can see how bad California is under a potential Gavin Newsom administration. And it just goes on down the list. So Donald Trump, he's got some work to do to win some people over again. Whether he can do it or not is up to him. First and foremost, though, let's get rid of these baseless, ridiculous, absurd lawsuits trying to throw him in jail. That'll do it for us today. Back at it again tomorrow for a Friday. Until then, be your own voice of reason. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.